Welcome to Dairy Intelligent, a podcast by VES Artex, a turntide company. Together, we will meet dairy industry intellects and passionate dairy producers to discuss all things cows and connected technologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of VES Artex's podcast, Dairy Intelligent. I'm your host, Annie. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Frank Mitlerner of the Clear Center at UC Davis. Dr. Mitlerner joins us today to discuss how methane should be treated differently compared to long-lived greenhouse gases, and it isn't always, especially to those who believe that animal agriculture is to blame. So thank you again so much for being with us today, Dr. Mitlerner. Can you please introduce yourself and give us some of your background? Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Frank Mitlerner, and I'm a professor and uh, air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. And I'm also the director of the CLEAR Center, a center that does sustainability research and communications. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for being with us. So to begin, I'd like to first set the stage. Can you explain to us a bit more about greenhouse gases, what they are, and what are some of the biggest contributors? Yeah, sure. So the three main greenhouse gases are carbon dioxide, so that's CO2, then it's methane and nitrous oxide. These three greenhouse gases, CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide, they differ uh, with respect to how they can warm the planet. So why do they warm the planet, first of all? Well, uh, the sun, of course, radiates uh, solar beams to the surface of the Earth, and normally uh, that solar radiation would be reflected back into space. If there weren't this blanket of greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, and they effectively form a blanket, and that blanket retains some of that solar heat in our atmosphere. This is actually really important. Without greenhouse gases, life on Earth would be too cold. But the problem is that human activity is producing too many of these greenhouse gases, and that generates too much heat, and that's causing additional warming. And that is why the world is talking about how we can reduce greenhouse gases. And what are some of the biggest contributors to each um, of those three greenhouse gases that you mentioned? The greatest contributor to CO2, carbon dioxide, which is also the most uh, abundant greenhouse gas, the most present greenhouse gas, is the use of fossil fuels. So every time we burn oil, coal, and gas, either to produce power or to drive vehicles, uh, we put CO2 into the atmosphere. That's by far the most uh, important greenhouse gas by mass. Um, Methane is associated with swarms and other natural sources, as well as particularly ruminant livestock, because cattle belch out methane, and some methane comes from their manure as well. Uh, Non-ruminant, uh, so monogastric livestock also produces methane, but uh, only through their manure. So the methane is, is, is important because it's about... Uh, it's almost 30 times more powerful per molecule in trapping heat from the sun than CO2 is. The third greenhouse gas is nitrous oxide. And nitrous oxide is a problem because it is 265 times more potent than CO2 per molecule in trapping heat from the sun. Uh, where does it come from? It comes from uh, nitrogen fertilizers, whether they are chemical fertilizers or uh, manure. And when you do, then some soil microbes convert that nitrogen and make it into nitrous oxide. And that is an issue we really should be talking about. But uh, somebody has kidnapped methane instead uh, running with it. In my opinion, nitrous oxide 
actually be a very important topic, but uh, methane is the one that was chosen. Now, what's also important is this. Methane, in contrast to the other greenhouse gases, is not just produced, but methane is also naturally destroyed. So there is a there is not just a source for this, or there are not just sources for this gas, but also sinks. And uh, that same cannot be said about the other greenhouse gases. But it's important to note because it makes methane a short-lived climate pollutant. It's in the atmosphere for about a decade, and then it's gone. That does not mean that methane doesn't matter. In fact, methane does matter, and we use it. But it is very important in our efforts to quantify it correctly. Expanding upon that, animal agriculture is often given a large part of the blame when it comes to climate change and, and methane emissions. Where do you think that that assumption comes from? Well, I think it started with a United Nations uh, FAO report, Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, titled Livestock's Long Shadow. It came out back in 2006, and it claimed that livestock produces more greenhouse gases than the entire global transportation sector. That report was troublesome and partly incorrect, and I um, actually was the one who corrected it in so far that I showed why this comparison of livestock to transportation was flawed. Namely, they used one methodology to characterize the impact of livestock on climate and a different methodology for how transportation affects the climate. And they acknowledged my criticism. It was later changed, but the horse had left the barn, so to say. That's where it started. The whole discussion about livestock and climate started with that report. Now, and then the other issue is that those critics of animal agriculture uh, kind of cherry pick numbers. Using U.S. numbers for U.S. animals, they are always starting their story, their narrative with global methane and global greenhouse gas numbers for livestock. And they're doing this because the global numbers are much higher. Globally, livestock emits about 14.5% of all greenhouse gases. And in the United States, that number is four. So of all greenhouse gases in the United States, 4% stem from livestock. And that is a, a number that comes to us from the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, that, um, that keeps tabs on the various sources and various sectors of greenhouse gases. So why is the global number higher than the U.S. number? It is higher because many developing countries, so countries in Africa and Asia and so on, have very significant livestock sectors, but smaller fossil fuel sectors. And so in these countries, livestock make up 50% of their greenhouse gases. Whereas in countries like the United States, the fossil fuel sectors are very strong, relatively dwarfing the livestock sector. And that is why here that number is much smaller. In my opinion, it would be much more honest to use our numbers for our sector here in this country. Absolutely. Um, so how is methane produced by animal agriculture, and maybe specifically more on ruminants, different than how greenhouse gases are produced, like fossil fuels? Yeah, let's start with the fossil fuels. <clears throat> what are fossil fuels? Um, this is oil, coal, and gas. That is pure carbon that was stored in the ground for a very long time. It originally was plant material and animal material, such as dinosaurs. And these plants and animals died, they decayed, fossilized, and accumulated underground for hundreds of millions of years. Over the last 70 years, humans have extracted about half of all these fossil fuels, and then we burned them with cars, trucks, trains, planes, ships, and so on, adding new and additional carbon to the atmosphere, 
that wasn't there before, at least not uh, within the relatively short time frame. So this is new and additional carbon added to the atmosphere from fossil fuels. On the livestock side, um, the, the methane, which contains carbon, because methane is CH4, it contains carbon, has a different uh, genesis. So the carbon from the methane that livestock produce starts in the atmosphere as atmospheric CO2, carbon dioxide. The plants that our animals eat during their lifetime take CO2 from the air during photosynthesis, and we've all learned this in school, uh, they take on CO2, they give off oxygen, right? And they produce carbohydrates such as cellulose and starch. And these plants um, are then eaten by our animals. And um, when cattle, let's say, eat uh, plants that had previously um, assimilated carbon from the air, then that carbohydrate, that cellulose, for example, or the starch are converted into methane. <clears throat> the methane is then belched out, coming out from the front end of this ruminant animal, or to some extent also from the animal manure. And that methane will stay in the atmosphere for approximately one decade. And then it's destroyed. And that's what makes this methane different from uh, CO2 from nitrous oxide, because it is destroyed, a process called oxidation. A constant source of methane produces a constant amount of um, of warming as a result that this gas is not just produced, but also destroyed. Now, after about 10 years, after it's being destroyed, methane becomes CO2 again, the same gas that it was originally. Um, and so this is really a cycle, a relatively short-lived cycle. It takes about 10 years from atmospheric CO2 to carbohydrates to methane from cattle and then back to CO2. So this is a short-lived cycle cycling around existing carbon, whereas the fossil fuel carbon is a one-way street from the ground up into the atmosphere. Wow, that's so interesting on something that seems like it's a black and white issue, but clearly there are details that need to be looked into. And um, it's wonderful for our industry that you are able to utilize um, all of your knowledge to really open up people's eyes and see um, maybe there definitely are some bigger issues to be looking into. Yes, but but I want to say one more thing for, uh, to this whole complex here. And that is none of what I just said means methane doesn't matter or I'm belittling methane. I'm not doing that at all. In fact, methane, because it's so potent, even though it's short-lived, because it's so plays an important role and we as the livestock sector are emitting some methane. And we have a responsibility of reducing it because if we reduce methane, we reduce warming. And that means we can take something that normally is considered a problem in the climate change uh, discussion. We can take something that is considered a problem and make it into a solution because a reduction of gas of this methane gas reduces warming. And we are one of two sectors of society that can do that. And so we should do that, but we should also talk about that and get credit for it. No, absolutely. And Going right into that, so we know that California has the most dairy cows in the United States um, as well. It's where you reside and conduct your research. So what are some of the laws that are in place that are helping to reduce methane and how have they been received by dairies? So the most important one is a methane law that's called SB 1383. And that methane law mandates 
that uh, all sources of methane reduce methane by 40% for zero. By the year 2030, so that's around the corner, low 2013 baselines. So at first, our farmers thought this is not achievable. Another look. And uh, they scratched their heads and they were not happy. But uh, little did they know at the time that the legislature had something in mind that really made California different from other places in the world. Other places such as New Zealand or Ireland or uh, the Netherlands, they are using what I call the cane approach of rules, regulations, fines, taxes to make farmers comply with reduction goals. Whereas California uses the carrot approach of financially incentivizing reductions of methane. So the state of California partners, for example, with the dairy industry in installing anaerobic digesters, so-called covered lagoons. And when they cover the lagoon, when farmers cover the lagoon, they trap the gas that normally would go into the air. It's called biogas. And 60% of that biogas is methane, six zero is methane, which is now not burned like it was in the past, but it is converted into a fuel type first for heavy duty trucks uh, or buses. Uh, some of that biogas can also be converted into EV for electric vehicles. Um, and this pathway of biogas from dairies to transportation fuels is considered so carbon negative, and that's a good thing, that the farmers get very high payments for it. And these payments are called low carbon fuel standard credits, low carbon fuel standard credits, as well as federal rim credits. These credits are so high, these carbon credits are so high that the installation of these digesters makes financial sense, not just ecological sense, but also economical sense. And one last sentence along those lines. Um, over the last few years, well over 200 of these anaerobic digesters, these covered lagoons were installed. Um, and that has had a significant impact on the methane. The goal to reducing methane in the state of California for our dairy sector is 7 million metric tons. Our dairies have already reduced 2.2 million metric tons, meaning 30% of the reduction goal has already been met by voluntary um, and incentive-based measures. Wow, that's wonderful. And what a win-win for everyone. So California has clearly seen some large success um, with this program that, again, everybody is winning. Are there other states that have followed suit with a similar type of incentive? Actually, right now we are a front runner, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Um, it bewilders me to see that throughout the world, people have not understood that the cane approach never works as well as the carrot approach. Everybody having kids at home should know it, but it seems like policymakers don't always. For example, in New Zealand, um, if you have a livestock farm, then you are paying methane tax now. Um, in Ireland, they are trying to figure out how to achieve 25% reduction of methane, uh, but it's likely that there will be some kind of a tax or... Um, maybe depopulation or so, who knows? They haven't decided that yet. The worst is the Netherlands right now, uh, where the government has decided to get rid of a third of their farmers. And they have put aside $25 billion to get there. 25 billion, sorry, not dollars, but euros. And if the farmer signs that they sell their farm, 
then they also sign that they will never be a farmer again and neither will their kids. So I'm hopeful that this kind of situation will never ever occur in this country. And in order for that to happen, that it doesn't occur here, our farmers need to know about it. They must not stick their heads in the sand. They need to educate themselves on the topic and they need to speak up and not say, well, this is not my topic. This is not my issue. Leave me alone. These days and these times are over. So what are some of the tools and devices that are available to reduce methane at dairies today? Earlier, you mentioned um, digesters um, as well as the lagoon covers. Um, what are some other available tools? There's actually um, a very exciting development going on um, because scientists all over the world are working on tools to fill the toolbox of farmers. Um, and some of them involve the manure and some of them involve um, um, the animal directly. So the manure technologies are things such as anaerobic digesters, covered lagoons I just talked about. Um, there are also so-called alternative manure management practices such as uh, solid separators of different kinds and so forth that also uh, can reduce methane. On the animal side, um, we have studied <clears throat> dozens of feed additives. Uh, so these are things that you add to the ration of the cow to change enteric emissions. And you reduce the enteric methane that's uh, that's belched out by those animals. We have found some that reduce 10. We have found some that reduce up to 40% of enteric methane. So that's one um, one tool that will be available in the not so distant future. Um, then recently I have uh, talked to some genetics uh, and breeding companies who have identified a genetic trait for methane, which can be identified when you test cows, when you do a genomic test. Um, and so now in the future, we will actually select for low methane cows. Uh, so in addition to having uh, you know, certain other traits like components of milk and yield and so on, uh, part of our genetic selection, we will also select for methane. Another tool that came or is about to come from, uh, that is about to come out is a tool from New Zealand, which is a bolus that you put into the animal's rumen and it slowly releases an active ingredient. And that active ingredient reduces methane. So that is a new tool. And the New Zealanders are quite bullish about it, um, as they are about a vaccine that they have, a methane vaccine. So feed additives, breeding, a bolus, vaccination. Uh, there's a whole slew of potential um, techniques and technologies that are in the making. And uh, they are not to be seen in, uh, in, in isolation, but in addition to them, um, we also know that any improvement in efficiencies and productivity has a positive impact on um, on the environment because with more productive cows, we will have a relatively lower environmental footprint because you produce a given amount of food with relatively few animals. Wow, that is incredibly exciting that there are so many new tools um, on the horizon. So some of those um, tools that you mentioned are in the future. What are some economical ways that dairies can implement to reduce methane emissions on their dairies today? Um, obviously, earlier, the talking about digesters, it's an expensive um, 
expensive something to implement on your dairy. Is there anything that they can do that is a little bit more cost effective? So first, um, in general, methane is just imagine methane as being energy. Okay, methane has a high energetic uh, value, and that means you can burn it, you can convert it into fuel, and so on. Uh, it is something that you don't want to waste. You don't want to just waste methane. It's just like uh, wasting natural gas in your house. You don't want to want to leave your doors and windows open in the winter because then you lose the heat that you have paid for. Guess what? The same is true for our dairies and beef operations, where if we don't manage methane, we will lose this gas and the energy that's contained therein. So about a 10% or so of the energy that we feed to cows in the ration gets lost as methane. And more methane gets lost from, from manure storages. Methane is a problem if we don't manage it. But if we do manage it and we harness it, from the manure, or we reduce it from escaping through the mouth, then we can convert something that was a liability before into an asset. And there are now different vehicles. Here in California, we now have companies such as Shell, BP, um, BMW, and others, in farmers to reduce methane gas, for example, by feed additives. Um, the same is true for Nestle and Starbucks. They are paying their supply chain farmers these feed additive costs in order to reduce their own uh, supply chain carbon footprint. Uh, so that is that is one thing that's happening already now. Um, with respect to finances, another big one is that there in a state like California is a carbon uh, trading uh, system where if you reduce methane, you get credits. And you can sell those credits to others who need to buy them because they can't reduce theirs. So, for example, the uh, airline industry, the automobile industry, other fossil fuel sectors are buying carbon credits from dairies as we speak. And that, in my opinion, will uh, accelerate and intensify in the years to come. I think that farmers will change the way they look at greenhouse gases, particularly at methane, from being a problem to being part of their business. So how do we work in the dairy industry to disseminate our knowledge on methane with those who maybe might be more anti-agriculture um, and maybe even want to eliminate cattle? Well, that's a very nuanced uh, answer there. There are, there are some people um, who you will never reach. They have no interest in improving animal agriculture. They simply want to get rid of it. And uh, you don't really have any way of reaching them. They are not listening to you. They're, they, are, they are standing there with both uh, index fingers in their ears. Um, they have one interest. They're very critical of animal agriculture. And their interest is to get rid of animal agriculture. So with these folks, you don't really have an in. But there are others who are just concerned about the environment. And they have been told that livestock is such an important player. Um, and they can be reached. Uh, first of all, by being educated on what the true contributions of livestock are. We have to be honest there. No greenwashing, no creative accounting, but here is the true contribution of beef, of dairy, and so on. That is fact. Livestock does have an impact, but we know that there are tools to reducing that impact, and we are committed to using tools and improving our standing. And many uh, players out there are very open to that narrative because it's an honest one. 
this is not one um, uh, that is a get out of jail free or so uh, narrative, but it is an honest one that many farmers um, are willing and uh, and proud to follow, namely that they want to limit their own impacts while producing the food we all need to eat. I mean, let's face it, there are two important sectors, strategically important sectors in any society. The one is the health sector and the other one is the food sector. And we are producing food that everybody needs. We need to continue doing so and we need to help our farmers to do this in the most sustainable way. And in order to achieve that, they will need societies assistance. So important to remember that we truly are all on the same side um, and wanting to fight global climate change. So we're now at the end of our conversation. Um, but before we wrap up, I have a question that I've been asking all of our um, podcast guests. So I'd like to know what an animal-centered environment means to you. An animal-centered environment? Well, I just feel, and I'm an animal scientist, so I feel that animals are a very important part of who we are as people. Um, it is something that has uh, developed throughout evolution. The, the reason why we are who we are as people is because they are animals. Uh, our brain would not be the size without nutrient-dense food that animals have provided. Um, we would not live the, the life that we do today if animals weren't present. And that is including, but it's not limited to, uh, food-producing animals. Let's not forget there are other animals that also give us, that are enriching our lives. Companion animals such as horses or pets such as dogs and cats, um, exotic animals that you find in the zoo. I think animals play a very important role, one that I wouldn't want to live without. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Mitlerner, for your time and insights. I think we all learned a bit more about how we can truly begin to rethink methane and see that animal agriculture is on a path to climate neutrality with scalable solutions. And we want to give the global community tools to fight global climate change. So thanks again, everyone, for listening in, and we will see you in our next episode. Thank you for joining us for another Dairy Intelligent episode. We hope you have found some suggestions to improve cow comfort on your farm, or simply just learn something new. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and let your friends know about us. We would love to have them listen and learn.